that was shitty. Hold on. Fuck, I can't snap. There we go. How do people snap? <laughs> Hold on. Let me, let me just clap my chest. There we go. That'll be a good spike for you. <laughs> Hey everybody, and welcome to Beatlemania January Week 3. We are doing Please Please Me by the Beatles. Yeah, baby. So let's get into it. Let's fucking go! <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three, five! All right, guys, we're here. We're ready to do Please Please Me by The Beatles, Kev. Yes, we are. This is an album from 1963. It's their first album ever recorded. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we would like we have to go back to go forward at this point, it seems like. So uh, we talked about a little bit last week. You know, we want to if we want to get a complete picture of The Beatles, we're going to spend five weeks on it. So it would be it would feel like a disservice to not talk about their their debut album. Even though um, I'm sure it's in your fun facts later, it's not really their U.S. debut album. No. Yeah, I, I think I forgot to add that in, which is probably one of the more interesting facts is how we view the Beatles now is like, it's kind of weird because a lot of this stuff just didn't come to the U.S. for the longest time. This album actually came out in 1963, didn't come out to the United States until 1987 as a full album. Now I'm, I'm almost sure these like the singles made it across the, the pond. I'm sure. Yes, please, like, please me studio. was like a top 100. <laughs> oh, you all right? Yeah, sorry, just coughing. <laughs> I got a little bit of a sore throat here. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's a it's weird and trying to figure out everything how everything came over to the United States. I've been uh, reading up on some stuff, and it was just kind of interesting to see how the U.S. wanted albums versus how they made albums in the U.K. Like, uh, a lot of the Beatles records in the U.K. are 14 songs, and like we talked a few weeks ago, they wanted 11 or 12 songs. So they wanted five or six on each side of the LP, and um, for that reason, a lot of songs got mixed. So the U.S. versions were always kind of different and, like, they would save those songs off that they left off and they would add them to like random albums later on. So trying to go through the discography is kind of confusing and uh, it just takes a lot of research to figure it all out, especially since all of it was analog. There's not a lot of like easy places to go and track all this information down. Yeah. And I, they released a lot of like EPs and shit too. Like uh, I, that's something I wasn't aware of until we started digging in. Um, I always just thought it was, just albums um so and they released a lot of like i think live recordings too so um it's just interesting to now that we kind of know why um it's interesting to see that yeah they did have to release a lot of eps just to get all of their shit over to the states to begin with so yeah super another interesting little wrinkle into these uh these four boys yeah um and there's there's a few things i want to touch on before we get started um we're not going to go song by song. I don't know if we've mentioned that yet, but um, instead of doing all, what, 14 songs on this album? Yeah. We're going to try and do just five. 
So I picked three, Kevin picked two, and we're going to go through five of the big ones just because the album gets a little redundant. We just, we want to keep it light and fun. So um, do you want to do facts first or do you want to do song by song first? Uh, let's do facts. Facts, just okay. because it's on our notes first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so infamously, like we mentioned at the beginning of the last episode, most of Please Please Me was recorded in a one-day, 13-hour recording session. Um, and the Beatles were just trying to get a record out quickly to capitalize on their success of Please Please Me. Uh, it was like a top 25 single or so. Um, thoughts? On the album being recorded in one day? Yes. I mean, it's crazy, but that's just, I mean, I've talked about it before, like the prolific nature of the Beatles and the amount of fucking shit they put out in nine years. It doesn't really surprise me. Plus, I think record labels could get away with a lot more back in the day. They could say, hey, we need to ring you for all your worth while you're worth it. Um, So they they forced them. It's like, I, I don't know if it was as much the Beatles trying to capitalize as it was their record label, probably. Because I don't think they probably would have done a 13-hour recording <laughs> session had they the chance. No. And I, it's so interesting. I'm going to I'm gonna link in the George George Martin. Is that his name? Yeah, George Martin. George Martin. Uh, there was an interview he did in 1993 that I found on YouTube. He kind of goes through how he produced all the albums and how things were leading up to it. And he's just got a really unique perspective. I'm going to add that into the YouTube. Did you get a chance to watch it? Uh, no, I started it and I watched the first 10 seconds of it last night, but you sent it to me at one thirty a.m. That's <laughs> true. like, this is, this is 20, 26 minutes long or something like, or no, it's only 18, but either way I was like, yeah, there's, I think seven mind. parts to it too. It's basically a whole documentary. So, yeah. uh, you guys know how I am about documentaries, but I'm going to add it in there. If anyone's interested, it's just cool to hear him talk about all the things that went into it. And his idea basically was for them to do like a live performance um and that kind of leads into my next fact was due to them being a successful uh live band this album was almost recorded live at the cavern club but they were unable to get the logistics ready and get it done in time so they booked this like they booked two uh sessions in a row at um wherever they was it did they do it at abbey road or i mean whatever or wherever they did it uh, recorded this album? Yeah. Oh, no, I doubt they were at Abbey Road Studios at this point. I don't know where they did it, um, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I'm sure it was just wherever their record label had space. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, they were they were still pretty low on the totem pole at this point. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the producer, George Martin, wanted to show what kind of energy they had live. Um, so, in turn, he also wanted to make these songs a little more simplistic. And I think that's kind of where your frustration is with the album is that a lot of these songs are very simple, straightforward, and doesn't have that like Beatles flair quite yet. Well, it's it's I wouldn't call it frustration. It's just I've I've heard all of these songs 100,000 times. There's there's not it's not that there's still good Beatles songs and they're still better than most of the rock pop that was out at the time. Um it's just a lot of them are covers, like almost half of the album is a co- are covers. Um and it's just that stereotypical, like late fifties, early sixties sound where before we started getting into like really good folk and like psychedelic stuff towards the end of the sixties into the seventies, uh, we were still kind of in that rockabilly early rock and roll period. Um, so it's just, you know, they weren't 
they couldn't if they wanted to make it big they kind of had to do what was popular and so um it's just kind of the same shit i mean as much as people want to romanticize this era of music it was all kind of the same um i i watched a little video on youtube today about how similar a lot of their song structures are to other songs and i think that just happened a lot because it's it, if it's proven to work you're going to copy it until you know you have enough clout to do your own shit and we didn't see that until like what six seven years later yeah. it started on started on rubber soul um and then you know in 67 they finally got to do shit they wanted to do with sergeant pepper and it's crazy uh, Mag- magical mystery tour so yeah. yeah crazy i don't remember what the actual question was but here, here we are. Oh, basically, you know, about how simple the songs were and stuff. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. It costed 400 euros for the day to use their recording studio. Yeah. And their royalties for the songs were 750 a man. Yeah. Seven, 750 euros. And that's not 750. It's 7.50 euros. Yeah. I don't know how euros translate, so I'm not going to pretend. But that's just the math that I saw. Um. The title of the song and the album, Please Please Me, is inspired by Bing Crosby's play on words. I guess he used the the please and the please in a song, and they were like, oh, that's clever. I'm going to use that too. And um, the title track was intended to originally be a slower song in the vein of Roy Orbis- Orbison, which that I'm not sense. familiar with him, but... Um, there's a lot of western like old western country western influences here too um it's just, like i said it was just the shit that was popular at the time they're heavily heavily influenced by american music at the time in the 50s so um i don't know how much of that was over in england at the point at that point but they they kind of were at even at this early stage kind of taking that and refining it into something much better yeah uh they originally wanted the cover of the album to be at the zoo george martin was super involved with the zoo and he tried to get them to uh he was like hey is there any way we can like get in and get some pic of the pictures of the band in front of in the zoo and they were like no we don't really like you know rock and roll bands we don't want that to be like our image which is so funny in hindsight yeah um but they had to like think quickly and they ended up taking a picture of them up that staircase at the emi studios which is their record label so it was just kind of tossed together. Oh, uh, yeah. Pretty much everything Beatles is like, hey, they had this idea and they did it in 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like I said last week, man. They're so fucking stupid. It's like everything. It's like they couldn't they couldn't fuck up if they tried. Everything they did just kind of turned to gold. And it's it's one of those rare cases where it just I mean, things went wrong, obviously. But um, it just seemed like anything the Murphy Murphy's law did not apply to the Beatles. It was the exact opposite. Yeah. Everything that could go wrong did not go wrong. It just went right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's, uh, this actually reminds me, I forgot to talk about this last week and it's one of my favorite lines on the whole album. Um, and your baby, your rich man is you keep all your money in a big brown bag outside the zoo. <laughs> I've never understood that line, but it always makes me laugh every time I hear it. And they say, what a thing to do. Because, yeah, it's fucking stupid. Why would you keep your money in a big brown bag outside the zoo? So I wonder if (laughs) this love for zoos has anything to do with that line. (laughs) It's probably a dig on George Martin, now that we think about it. Yeah, it might be. Uh, It probably is, actually. It's probably because, I mean, that song is inspired by the people that they brought up with them. So, um, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so maybe George Martin's big brown bag is still outside the zoo somewhere. He's got it buried beneath. That's funny. Yeah, I didn't even notice that lyric. So I'm glad you pointed it out. Oh man, it's it's so funny. Um anyway, yeah, that not this not this song, not even this album. Almost not the same decade. So not even the decade. <laughs> even though it was only four years prior. That's what's right. crazy is the level of growth in four years. Oh, dude, it's crazy. Most people don't even put out albums nowadays four years apart. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, album cycles are so long that, like, I, I know we've touched on it quite a bit, but it's just kind of crazy how spread out everything is nowadays compared to how it was. And I kind of, I understand, like, there's a lot more care going into the studio and, like, you're not recording as a band and as a unit. So everyone can kind of record separately. And there's a bunch of things that have to go out. You have to promote it before the album comes out. You got to release some singles, but like, I love how like albums were released back then. You getting, getting music twice a year from your favorite band would be incredible. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like I said earlier, it's record labels. New popularity was fleeting. So they're going to ring every little bit, that every little bit of cash out of you. They can while they own you and can still you know get new content out of you but uh in the in the it could either that pressure could either like break you but in the in the beatles case it, it refined them super quickly i mean you don't even have to go as far as rubber soul just look at help like help is a great fucking album man it's all still kind of bubblegummy but it's still really fucking good it's really good like bubblegum pop rock and it's it's help is one of it's i don't know it's it's an underrated classic for sure um in their discog mm-hmm. um really every all their albums are good there's not a there's not a beatles album i don't like except for maybe let it be um it's just overproduced but um i mean if you're watching that documentary they just had i think they had too much too much freedom yeah <laughs> it's, it's they were a little bit too unfettered um but I yeah don't know. Which, it's, it's still a good album like yeah i i don't know if we're ever going to touch on the, the whole brian epstein thing but that seems to be where it all kind of went to the pooper yeah but um you want to start talking let's get into some of our songs um we're going to just go in chronological order um through the album on which songs we picked um the ones we picked were i saw her standing there which which was track one we're going to do please please me love me do do you want to know a secret and twist and shout so we get the beginning middle and end basically of the album yeah um we just kind of trim the fat so, Kev, let's talk about I Saw Her Standing There. Yeah, let's. Um, great fucking opener, man. Any opener that starts with a one, two, three, bah! like it's just, <laughs> and then you get right into the fucking main riff. It's just the way that they say, bah! it's just so fucking good, man. And I think um, talking about how they wanted to capture their live energy, it's like that is a perfect little crystallization of what you got at a Beatles show at back then. Cause they were still, I mean, 20, 19, 20 at this point. Yeah. Probably younger than that. So, um, they still had the stamina to do a 13 hour recording session. And I don't know where this recording fell in that 13 hours, but I mean, they were fucking hyped and you can get that right from the jump. And for a song that is again, pretty standard, like sixties, like rock, like kind of go, go girlish stuff. Um, it gives you the first glimpse of like their like 
unrefined it, it, it's unrefined but their harmonies are still there like i think this i feel like this song was recorded probably later because there you can hear their voices start to crack a little bit as they're harmonizing uh, but, but i, I think kinda, that le- i love that i do too and i think uh it lends a kind of rawness to it it's like what people in the metal community talk about all the time with raw uncut demos it's like oh you could hear everything all the little mistakes like yeah that kind of makes it sound shitty but when it's done at an actual recording studio and you kind of leave that raw stuff in, it can really add it, add to the the depth and the realness of what you're trying to get out of that band. And like I said, the goal, George Martin's goal was to make this kind of like a live recording and stuff like that really makes it stand out. And it's like stuff like that can be iconic. Like, Oh, yeah. Uh, I couldn't imagine this song without it. Yeah, I mean, the classic, I know you hate Green Day, but the little fuck. And then he got they get it into the it's classic. Um, yeah. it's 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 what everybody remembers about that song more than anything. Um but you know, if it's done right, it can be it can be really, really cool. And you know, obviously knowing what the Beatles became makes it much cooler. It is cool that that's like the first introduction you get is them counting in. And yeah. that's like ah oh man, it just makes me so happy. And uh from what I read, this that um that one, two, three, four. I guess they did like one take on this song. They did like uh, upwards of 10 plus takes. But on like take nine, they were like, we're just going to go for it. So like a lot of the the stuff that's like added in that sounds fun uh, was from that take and they spliced it in with like their best like technical take. So it's kind of cool that like even back in the very early 60s, they were splicing the stuff together that sounded good because having that energy but then still sounding good is i don't know it it's it's so understated because there's bands that like do that and it sounds cool but you're like that just doesn't sound great like seeing blink 182 live you're like i i love the energy but it just doesn't sound great you know um, right right so to make it sound good and to like really go all out for it they're just kids that are excited they got a record deal and like this is their first song and their first album ever and if they told me they want to hear this song 12 times before we get it, I'm going to do it, you know? And you, they have that energy, and I love it so much. Yeah. Um, the original line um, from McCartney was going to be, she was just 17, never been a beauty queen. And that made um, John Lennon laugh. He said, that's fucking awful. We're going to switch that. I don't know <laughs> if he said fucking awful, but he was like, that's, yeah. uh, that's so bad. We're going to switch that. And... Uh, he was like, what if we just said she was just 17, if you know what I mean? And he was like, it's funny because no one knows what you mean. <laughs> it also sounds gross. It does. Like, it makes it sound inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, she's 17. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and no one knew what he meant. No. It, well, it's 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 also, that's also funny to me because I literally, before we got on here, I just watched uh, a Riff Tracks movie where the whole the whole thing was just old men trying to perv on high, this one high school girl who I think they were saying was like a sophomore. So she would have been like 15, oh, I God. guess in the movie, but it was from like the seventies. So it's like, Oh, this is fine. And of course, old dirty men slept with sophomores in, in high school. It's, it was so gross. It was so gross, man. Like, ugh, fuck. yeah, um, definitely one of the lyrics that doesn't age. Yeah. But like you said, they were 18, 19. Yeah, I think. I, they were they were age appropriate for that lyric. They weren't 
the 60 year old uh man in this vid movie i just watched uh, no. <laughs> that mystery I, science theater crew make fun of so. <laughs> i have seen a tiktok of this opening line where he's like she was just 17 if you know what i mean and someone's like listening to it like nodding their head and they just like kind of stare off it was like what did he mean i was like yeah that's the age-old question it's no. like who's on first um <laughs> but yeah th- this just has like the energy of I think I've texted this to you probably fifteen times this week is like this makes me want to go to like a sixties prom. If yeah, you heard like yeah. the oh one, two, three, four like it and you hear that like initial like lead in, holy shit, that would like get everyone to the dance floor. And really all I know about sixties movies is and fifties movies is from Back to the Future, but the one scene I saw was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean this that's that's how I would describe this album is like a prom band that is way better than a prom band. Yeah. <laughs> Just nobody knows it yet. <laughs> uh, so um, yeah, they're, they're being forced to play shit that's below their level, essentially. Right. So, uh, Do we want to just go through the, the names of the songs that we're skipping over here? Sure. Yeah, that way we can keep order a little bit. Sure. So we got uh, next uh, track two is Misery. Misery. Uh, again, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> The, a lot of these songs I got really excited for because I forgot about a lot of these songs. And then I was listening to them and I'm like, oh, fuck, a song called Misery. This is probably cool and depressing. Nope, it fucking sucks. <laughs> it's See, just, it's I, just I love song. Misery. I love Anna, Princey's yeah. Go to Him. And yeah. I also love Chains. Chains sucks too, dude. <laughs> Chains especially sucks because I don't even know what it means. Chains. It's like, these aren't even the chains like you would want. Like, who wants chains at all? Is this a BDSM song? Like, what is this? <laughs> no, it's the chains that you can't see. She's got a mental oh. hold on me. Ah, I see. Um, you didn't dive it's... into the lyrics like I did on yeah, this cover right. song from the Beatles' first album. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you're 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 the English teacher that John Lennon wrote "I Am the Walrus" for. <laughs> what do you guys think <laughs> about chains that don't exist? Uh, it's I don't know. Is there religion? All fine. We'll get to the bottom of this. <laughs> They're all fine songs. They're just not really worth breaking down on a song to song level. Um, and uh, we got five, Boys at Five. I don't even remember that track. And then Ask Me Why. The Ringo track, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I don't remember it. <laughs> Ringo sings on, I think, Boys. Yeah. I listened to this album twice um, all the way through. And then I just listened to the songs that we were going to do notes for a yeah. few times. Um, just to make sure I had my thoughts crystallized. I like I said, this album's fine. It's just not an album that I seek out. Yeah. Um, just because I know what it what it is and why they had to do it the way they did. So um, anyway, um, next our next song, please please me, please please me, track number seven. Um, according to George Martin, this song was originally very morose and slow, and he encouraged them to take it up to be more up tempo, and. I don't think he realized how important that decision was because if this song wasn't as good and as like far reaching as the rest of the album, like where would they be now? You know, like please, please me sent them on a upward trajectory. And um, I love that little guitar part at 125, And it reminds us that like, they're not just a boy band. They're not just a prom band. They have like a little flair to them. And even just like in one of their more popular songs from the early days to hear that little moment, you're like, that's a little trick we're going to use later, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. they're, yeah, they're still a band and they still stand out. And I really love this for that. 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's I have a lot of the same notes. It's just I think the chorus really sells this as this being a bit more special. Um, I, I think it's a good choice to be the title track for sure. Uh, the come ons and the pre-chorus really set it apart as well. Um, and I was going to talk about that guitar, but I figured you were going to talk about it as well. Um, and then the Beatles just, lo- they really loved harmonica in the early days. Um, I think they grew out of it a little bit, but they kept the tambourines around as we'll see in the next track and through the rest of their fucking career. <laughs> um which is fine. I, I like the tambourines. It's it, it's a Beatles vibe for sure. Um, but they, I don't know. Again, that harmonica is just a little bit of extra flair. Um, that you really, I you don't think you really heard a whole lot of it outside of the blues, like like dirty Mississippi blues back back at that in that, in that era. So, um, again, those uh, those um, deep American influences that they had that nobody was really bringing into rock at that time. You can see the 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 revolutionary minds uh, a turning still at this young age, uh, which is I, I think good. I mean, a lot of the best artists in the world write their best shit when they're fucking in their tw- early twenties and teenage years. <laughs> I was honestly thinking about that. Like, you're most like fun and exuberant when you're like eighteen and nineteen. That's when you f- write like the most creative and crazy stuff because you're like very heavily influenced. Like. Ooh, I love this band. I want to do what they're doing, but I want to do it crazier. And yeah. a lot of times, like even going back and listening to some of my favorite bands for their first album, it's always about love and like things that like, as you get older, you're like, uh, I like the song, but like it's stupid stuff about relationships. Like it, it's kind of way you, uh, youth is wasted on the young is basically what I'm getting at. But like, if only some people were a little more like, self-aware it's hard to tell an 18 19 year old to be self-aware but like they could write some of the best music in the world but it's always about girls or relationships or whatever you know i love olivia rodrigo's new album but like all of it's about one specific breakup and i just don't right. i i can't relate right yeah i mean well on the flip side of that i mean you think about i mean not again not even this artist but steven tyler wrote dream on when he was like 19 years old crazy and one of the best rock songs of all time i mean it, it's it's crazy i don't think he ever wrote a better song than that than the entire career of aerosmith up to the current present day uh and so it's it's really weird to see that the beatles still like i mean it's not weird to see it's just it's exciting to see that they were even still doing shit when they were so heavily guarded by what they the record label wanted them to be they're like nah we're still gonna do some cool shit yeah. so um which is which is fun i, I again as, as somebody who's been listening to Beatles all their life it's fun to kind of dig back even in albums that i'm not a huge fan of like this one mm-hmm. um because you can still see that shit that i love um from later later albums and later tracks so plus there's just so much stuff that you can uncover in your deep dives like i didn't know there was three different drummers on this album uh, there's Ringo, uh, who came in late. I think around this time he was coming into the band, and they had yeah. kicked out what was his name, Pete something, right? Pete Best. Uh, yes. I yeah. Think. So they had kicked out Pete Best, and Ringo was joining the band, but George Martin wasn't like super in love with how he drummed on some of these songs. So they even had a studio drummer come in, and. They actually use his drumming for Love Me Do, but there's drama on he the the session drummer's name is Andy White. He's convinced he played the drums on the song. 
Um, it's since been debunked because he wasn't there the day they used the actual recording, blah, blah, blah. Um, but he did still do the drums on Love Me Do and P.S. I Love You. So Yeah, yeah, that's also crazy for me to think about. I, I always forget that Ringo wasn't the original drummer. Um, and to me, the, the, the Beatles aren't the Beatles without that, that sad little puppy dog. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> didn't really want to be there, um, the whole time. So the more I think um, about it, that movie, um, uh, that thing you do is basically just yeah. the Beatles story. Yeah. I, yeah. Essentially on a shorter timeline. Yeah. Um, also a little fun fact about please, please me, Paul McCartney, um, in the anthology documentary stated, we sang it, and George Martin said, can you change the tempo? And we said, what's that? He said, make it a bit faster. Let me try it. And he did. We thought, oh, that's right, yes. And we were a bit embarrassed that he had found a better tempo than we had. They didn't know what tempo meant back then. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, I don't I don't think they were classically trained. Like, I know Paul was a choir boy. But, I mean, they might not have had any musical theory at all. So, <laughs> Well, the, the, the drummer, Andy White, uh, I, w- I was reading something he was saying, and he's like, I had to come in and, like, learn the songs. They didn't have sheet music for me. They didn't write stuff down. They were like, hey, we're just going to play it for you a few times. You can kind of figure out where you want to go from here. So, yeah, they were always kind of off the cuff and not really writing things down. Yeah, I think that, that if you can do it in a masterful way, that always leads to better music anyway. Um, that's probably why they had to be so creative in the studios because you can't back then. How can you record something? You have an idea on tour and you're like, I got this idea for ding, 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 ding. And they're like, well, what's that? And you're like, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I hope you remember it when we go to the studio (laughs) next week, you know, like it, it, it's foreign now, but like it just, it's funny to think about. Yeah, for sure. Um, let me do you ready? Let me do, let me do. I'm ready. Um, so this is actually still one of my favorite Beatles tracks. Um, it's probably not in my top 10, but it's certainly in my top 20. Um, it's just a really, really good, like constructed pop song. And I have a, have a soft spot for that. And I think, uh, I've talked about how influential the Beatles are. And I really do think the way they, the way they recorded pop songs changed pop forever. Um, because they could, they showed you could do rock things or you could do blues things or you could do any number of things and still have it fit within a formula and the verse chorus verse chorus like it's really kind of like the beatles perfected it and you can really see it and love me do here um obviously they're not the first to do it um but i really do think the way like one the way they were able to rate songs but two the guidance that they had throughout their career i think george martin was probably the perfect kind of producer i don't know if he's was the best but he was certainly the right kind of producer for them um but yeah this is the only real true standout on the album for me because it's the only one i really remember um past like listening to it for this this podcast um it's just really really fucking good man uh, the love love me do i'll always be true it's just really fucking good it's it's, it's a nice easy bop like your grandma could listen to it and love it. Your your five year old could listen to it and love it. And that is the sign of a truly timeless song. Um, yeah, it's just really fucking good, man. It's a great. I don't know the the harmonica is really fucking good. Yeah, <laughs> just, that harmonica uh, gives it like a weird western feel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's kind of what I was talking. Yeah, I had mentioned that earlier. There's a lot of western influences. You can definitely feel it here. Um, even the please like that's kind of a like country western like kind of plead like a pleading vocal that you'll get in like 
I don't know, an old Dolly Parton song or some shit like yeah. that. So that was very, very country Western inspired this whole kind of vocal delivery at the end of the chorus there. So, yeah, it's their first single ever, which is kind of crazy to think about. Uh, it was released in October 1962, and this album didn't come out till March 1963. So yeah. this came out a whole six months before. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love the harmonica. I love the Western feel. And it's kind of a Beatles we never really got later on. We never really got like the the country Beatles. I think if they would have gone on long enough, they probably would have done country or some sure. version of it. I George Harrison did a little bit of it, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and it's it's the first uh, Lennon McCartney song written together, and uh, one that they had written a long time ago, and they were sitting on for a long time. So. Um, it kind of makes sense that it's like so simple, but it's like, it just feels like a song that's always been written. Yeah. It's, it's something they never really lost. I mean, you look at a song like, uh, Rocky raccoon that feels like an old, like Western saloon, like just the way it's kind of delivered. It's got that slow kind of kind of pace to it. Um, yeah. So they never, they, I mean, they always had like Western, country western influences in their stuff and it's to me it's some of their best stuff to be honest because i love old country western stuff because it's a really good way to tell a story i mean you basically just talk to a to a beat and um yeah i don't know it's yeah i fucking love love me do um yeah anyway let's move on <laughs> um i got one more fun fact uh there's three versions of the song with three different drummers one was with their original drummer pete best one with the studio drummer andy white and one with ringo the version we hear the most is the Andy White version, the studio drummer. Yeah. Crazy. And he doesn't get royalties for it. Well, fuck Andy White. <laughs> you're, a, you're a session guy. You know, yeah. you're not going to get royalties, but that's just how it The tiniest is. violin for the session drummers. Yeah. Dude, I mean, if he tried to get royalties for that, he should fuck off because that's what you do as a session. You go in and you record. You don't tour. You get paid for the session. Yeah, you get paid for the session. Like that's what you do. And if you if you want to get butt hurt because your version, I know. I'm, if there's any session artists out there, I res, I have massive amounts of respect for you guys. Um, but don't expect royalties for a song that you record on because that's what you're paid to do um, is to do session recordings. So um, if a song blows up that you happen to play on, um, unless you're touring with the band and you're signed with the band, you're not going to get royalties for that. Yeah. Um, Anyway, speaking from a guy who has no authority whatsoever to talk about that, um, it just, I don't know. It just annoys me when people try to get money for shit that they know they didn't sign up for. Right. Anyway. Or people selling uh, selling their songs and like selling their rights to their song yeah, so that right. someone else can record it. And then they're like, that was my song. It's like, okay, and you sold it. Yeah, it's not your song anymore. <laughs> it's not. It's absolutely not your song anymore. Get over it, bud. If that's like if if I like gave someone a bottle of bourbon and they like took a picture of it and they were like drinking on this tonight, I'm like, that's my bourbon. I'm like, <laughs> not really. It's mine now. It's yeah. mine. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's what's grinding me and Kevin's gears this week. Um, track number nine is "P.S. I Love You," which, as we mentioned, was the B side to "Love Me Do." Yeah, still when it comes a good to singles. Decent track. Uh, Track number 10 is Baby It's You. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even tell you what the song was or was about. Doesn't matter. It's it's a forgettable track. It, sound, it honestly sounds like, uh, I don't know, some little 15-year-old girl in 2006 
Like that's what that's what the name of their songs were. <laughs> like when Mandy Moore and all them were releasing, then there was like tr- people were trying to capitalize on the Britney and Christina wave. Like there was eighteen different little blonde girls that came out releasing shitty pop music. <laughs> Baby, it's you by Josephine Whitaker. <laughs> P.S. I love you, featuring <laughs> Ashley Simpson. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yes, exactly. Like the Ashley Simpsons of the world. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Uh, and then we get into track number 11. Do you want to know a secret? Mm-hmm. Um, I love the guitarists in this song, Kevin. I love them so much. I am mm-hmm. swooning like a girl in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love George Harrison singing on this, almost to the point where I had to double take and look up if it was actually him. Because sure. he sounds very similar to John back in the early days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like the doo-doo das. I The beach... This almost feels like a Beach Boys song. I don't know if you feel that way, but um, it just felt like a di- a different song on this album. When I was listening through, I was like, "This is unlike the others." I thought uh, it sounded yeah. polished. I thought it sounded better, and the guitars just got me like on my feet. I, I agree with the polish on this. Um, as far as the sonically sounding different, I disagree completely. Really? <laughs> this yeah, this song doesn't do it for me, man um it starts out really cool like there's a really eerie beginning to it um and then it just turns into another a love song and it's just reminds me of poodle skirts and soda shops and um and that's okay like i said it you know i did a little fart noise at the end of my note there um <laughs> but it's uh you know like i said i i'm evolved past the point where i want to listen to a full album of love songs and so I got really excited when I heard the beginning of this. I was like, oh, shit, this might be like a gem that I forgot about. And no, no, it's just this It's just the same as the rest of the song. I, I do agree that it does sound better, like objectively. Um, but as far as sounding different, I don't know if I could agree, <laughs> agree with you. I don't know. I I think it sounds better and different. But, you that's know, di- different strokes for different folks. Opinion. That's, that's just opinion. my opinion. <laughs> Uh, that's a. I'm just quoting a vine that no one knows from. Oh, ten everybody years ago. knows that vine, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so a fun <laughs> anecdote. Uh, John Lennon wrote this song based on the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs song "I Wish," and it was like, "Do you want to?" I, I think the song goes like, "Do you want to know a secret? I love you," or something like that. So that was kind of how he got the idea for the song. Yeah, that's that's so fucking corny, dude. I think that's my problem with this song is the lyrics just take me out of it. And I'm just like, yeah, this is just this is just childhood prattle. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm a dork. <laughs> uh, I'm too dark I'm too dark and cool for this <laughs> for this album. Get that sheen off of me. I want the grime. Uh track number twelve is Taste of Honey, speaking of lovey dovey songs. Yeah, it's a super lovey-dovey song, but it sounds a little creepy. And it is a little creepy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I think I would have preferred this tonally for the last, for Do You, do you Want a Secret? And I see you, you disagree. Yeah, <laughs> so, I think you're wrong. That's fine. But different strokes for different folks. That's right. We've been agreeing so much lately that we needed to disagree a little bit. Yeah, and this this I think this was a good album to do it on because... Um, you're discovering the Beatles, so you're going to be super hyped. Um, and I've I've known them forever, so I hate this. I don't hate it, but I'm tired of it. Yeah. 
I just I want to listen to Sergeant Pepper so bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> they have some songs on Yellow Submarine, don't they? What Sergeant Pepper songs? Oh yeah, it's, okay. it's <laughs> Yellow Submarine is very heavy Sergeant Pepper. Okay. Um, track number thirteen is "There's a Place." Mm-hmm. Another one of those unmemorable songs because I couldn't even tell you what happened. Yep, there's a song. There's a song. There's a place. Yeah, um, that's it. That that is definitely a track on this album. But then we uh, finish look. with a flurry of energy, and I think until we did Rubber Soul, this was my favorite Beatles song of all time. That's fair. And it is Twist and Shout. And I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> okay. Let me get my supposed hot take out of the way. Um, I don't think this is the best version of this song. I like the Isley Brothers song version better. Um, to me, this doesn't feel like a song that four white boys from England should be singing. This feels very much like it was an African-American song that was uh, taken away from them, uh, from that community. Um, and it doesn't take away the the brilliance of this recording. It just doesn't feel like something that was done that should have been done. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't want to make some big like statement about racism or whatever, because every bit of popular music that's ever come about has pretty much come from the African-American community. It's been stolen by the white community and made it into something more palpable for, you know, people that were white. I mean, even back in the day, you know, there was a chart for black music separate from white music. So, yeah, um, which is crazy. But again, again, I don't want to get too deep into that, but that's, I think why I don't really like this version because it feels like the white version of a black song. Um, but I still think it captures the essence of what the original and the Isley brothers went for. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a great recording. I think there's nothing wrong with it. It just to me, it just doesn't feel quite correct, especially knowing that it came from the community that it came from, and a lot of the stuff the Beatles did. But this is just a this is a song ripped straight from that community, and at the time where they weren't really getting a fair shake, so it just doesn't feel right to me. Plus, I really like the Isley Brothers yeah. version too. So, um, and, and like I said in the last night, it probably suffers from Stairway to Heaven syndrome for me as well. I've just heard it a trillion fucking times, so I'm tired of hearing it at this point. So it loses some of its magic for me. Um, th- don't let that. T- I don't want that to take away from the performance. It is a great performance. Um, I don't know. There's just something about it that doesn't feel quite genuine to me. It's kind of the same critique I have of Michael Bublé. Like this, he's singing crooner songs, but it doesn't feel like those songs belong to him. Um, which is the kind of the way I feel about Twist and Shout with the Beatles. See, I I feel the opposite. I felt like this was when he let loose the most, and I think I think um, knowing that they were like going for like a live performance and some of the some of their covers made their way onto the album because they just didn't have that much music written. Um, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, back in 2008, 09, um, even 2010, where it was super popular for like hardcore and pop punk bands to like cover rap songs and like put their own flair to it. And I kind of felt like this was kind of done in the same vein of like, we're not trying to like, we're not trying to manifest destiny this. We're just trying to like, you know, show some respect and like, Hey, we really like this song and we're going to cover it. And we're going to put our own spin on it. And this would be a cool song to hear live. And there's a reason there's so many live recordings of this is because 
it is like, come on, come on, come on. Like it just gets everyone like jacked up. And I think that's why I enjoy it so much. It's just like raw energy. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to, like I said, I'm not trying to diminish it in any sort of way. It's just not my favorite version of the song. It's, it's a great fucking recording. You know, I love listening to it. It doesn't like, it doesn't offend me. And I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I think I'm making a bigger deal out of it than I really truly believe. <laughs> so, um, take what I'm saying with a great assault about it. Uh, yeah. But no, I, 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 um, it evokes you to like get up and dance and it's the first Beatles song I was ever conscious of. And it's because I saw it in a movie. Yeah. Which, um, uh, we can talk about real quick. Um, I saw it in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which I think a lot of people did. It was 1986. I wasn't born yet, but I saw it like whenever a kid sees Ferris Bueller. And it was also in a Rodney Rodney Dangerfield film, Back to School. Have you seen that? I have. It's a great movie. Um, I guess that's all. It's also in that movie. I I haven't seen it, so I, I didn't yeah, know. It- I don't know. If you like Rodney Dangerfield, it's good. I mean, <laughs> it's it just take his character from Caddyshack and any character Rodney Dangerfield ever played. Yeah. Have him go back to college with his son. <laughs> so. uh, but since uh, that song was used in two different films in 1986, it propelled it back up to the Billboard Top 100 where it peaked at number 23. So almost... 43 years or not 43 23 years after the original release uh, it charted again so that's pretty cool the influence of media yeah and you've already mentioned it a couple times the song was originally written and performed by the top notes in 1961 and that version isn't great and it was reworked by the isley brothers and it kind of that's where it started doing the like the whole like building momentum, the ah, uh, all that like that's that's the Isley Brothers influence on the song, and uh, the Beatles added it to the album since they were performing it live in their sets, like I had mentioned, and this was one of the last things they did on the album. They did two takes of this, and the first one was the one we hear. The second one, his voice was going out, and they tried to go for a third take, and they were like. John's like, no, my voice is done. And I think that's why I like it so much is like, you can hear that, like the fraying of his voice, almost like you don't know if it's going to make it through the end of the song. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that note. Um, Any sort of rawness in a recording that sounds this good um, is going to be good. (laughs) Especially the Uh, last, like, come on, come on. You can like hear his voice, like fading out a little bit. And I, yeah, it, it was one of the first times it was I saw that movie before I was like super into pop punk. And I think that's where I was like, I want that energy and music mm-hmm. that I like. So I think that's yeah, why it's 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 had a hold on me for so long. Yeah. And, and you think about it like there is no social media back in the day. The way you got your name out was through live performance. Like that's why their performance on American TV was such a huge deal. It's like they're arriving. This is their energy that they're bringing. And honestly, that that performance what is it what was it uh, i forget the fucking name of the show ed uh, sullivan shit yes the ed sullivan show um that performance is kind of subdued like they're not really moving around a whole lot they're not bringing this wild energy but they were already kind of established as a boy band at that point but it, it also but but <laughs> to go back to go back one complete 180 on the point i just made um selling this energy on an album 
was probably incredibly hard to do at the time because i mean you only you don't you couldn't just delete a digital track i mean this was actual physical media that you had to just scrub so shit was expensive back in the day so if you fucked up trying to do something crazy like this it's just either you're not putting out an album or we're we're going to put it out there and see how it does. So you got to really give them credit for being as talented as they were to make it work. Um, especially John for gritting out like this at the, you know, literally the 13th hour um, of a recording. So props to the Beatles, band. I fucking love them. Even if this album isn't my favorite, it's still really fucking good. Yeah. You want, does that play into your closing thoughts? Yeah. I didn't even really write any, but that's pretty much my closing thoughts is, this is the last album we're going to do for the Beatles. We could easily do four months of the Beatles and I would be a happy boy. Um, I, I, like I said, I think on the first episode of Beatlemania, we were, I went through a couple years ago and just lit a full discog. I was like, I'm going to take a week and really dive into this discography. Cause I'm not sure I had really done it fully at any point in my life. Yeah. And it was one of the best weeks of my life. Like I came out of it just really, truly, loving the Beatles in a new and different way like I'd always like I said I grew up with Yellow Submarine so I was always aware of the trippiness and like the more adult side of the Beatles but um I really grew to appreciate this era of Beatles as well because when you have the full picture and you know where they ended up and you kind of have the distance of time to kind of appreciate it and wrap your head around it you can really get a crystal clear picture of how influential they were uh, people can talk about it all they want but until you listen to um please please me all the way up to uh uh let it be like if you don't listen to them in order and you can kind of until you hear the the transformation take place uh it's really really hard to just truly understand how what a bright fucking candle they are again i'm just not just musical history but history itself like they were a phenomenon in cultural history yeah i think you're right it's been fun we've kind of took beatlemania january as like us making our own beatles documentary and like taking the time and doing our own research and like seeing where all the influences come from and i think that's that's where we've really nerded out maybe more than we ever have besides new metal march but even new metal march week three we were like oh god like <laughs> you know i'm kind of well, we, <laughs> maybe we, we went around it the wrong of, way we had listened to a lot of new metal in fucking the year the year of our lord 2021 and it was just it was too much it was a lot <laughs> it and, was a lot but to have and this is like a completely different talent and there's so much to get to know and so much to uncover. And it feels like we're in like an investigative team and we're texting each other stuff. And this has just been so much fun. So to like go into movies and there's going to be a little, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. I'm not, I've purposefully kind of avoided the movies besides when we did Magical Mystery Tour last week, just because I want to experience it organically and like as we're doing the episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, while we're on that topic, um, our next our movie, our first movie, is going to be Yellow Submarine, if I can find a place to stream it from, because I don't know if it's available anywhere. I'm sure I have a DVD copy of it somewhere, um, or I can find a pirated version of it somewhere. Don't tell the cops that I just said that. Um, but I may have to pivot at some point and do something else. It might be Hard Day's Night, because I know that's available. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll figure something out. I'm sh- I'm sure there has to be a place where you can stream it. Not that I could find, man. I again, I didn't really look very hard. <laughs> yeah, if you guys know of places us to to rent it or, you know, we don't want to we don't want to have to resort to doing it illegally. So, we definitely won't resort to that. Yeah. Because we want people to watch along with us. You know, we don't yeah. want it to be like a, hey, watch this with us, but do it, everyone do it illegally. So, um, yeah, there's yeah. no re- there's no reason for me to do it, at least because I have a DVD copy. And if I can find it, I'll just drop it off at your place at some point. Okay. Or, or we can cuddle up with some popcorn and oh, give each other handies while we watch it. That's right. Now we're talking. <laughs> that, that'll be a hard day's night. Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a, a song of the show um you know what i forgot to pick one um so let's just do rocky raccoon go listen to that song it's great okay um it's uh or piggies uh rocky raccoon or piggies they're both really really fucking fun songs by the beatles okay yeah wh- which album is that on uh white album okay yeah they're <laughs> they're buried in the white album <laughs> It's it's part of the like impeccable like it's the part the part of the impeccable EP in the middle of a pretty boring double album. Yeah. Uh, my song of the 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 show is <sighs> this song is gonna buy Brandon Lukens a new guitar by Modern Baseball. Uh, I think everyone knows I did like a mini deep dive last year by myself with Modern Baseball and I had a lot of fun. And I just went back and hit shuffle on all the music they had. And it was one of the ones I was like, hell yeah. Like that TikTok <laughs> song, the hell yeah. That, that was me. I was like, God, I, I forgot how much I love this song. And just driving around listening to Modern Baseball makes me feel like I'm 19 again. And I love it. So that's my song on the show. Sick. Um, do you have uh, the third and fourth members' emails pulled up? I can I'm glad it. you mentioned that because I totally forgot. I'm already in here, so I'll do Ben since he came in first this week. Okay. Um, Ben's really trying to get that third third spot back. Um, it was pretty funny on our group chat. Um, Louie asked when we were recording, and I told him probably tonight. And then about 20 minutes later, is like Ben is Ben is like, ah, my email's in. <laughs> <laughs> Teacher's pet. Yeah, we see yeah, right I- through you. Uh, I think it was pretty funny. Just a little <laughs> friendly competition. You never know. Um, it impressed me. I don't know. I just like pettiness. Anyway, um, Ben says this week, man, Magical Mystery Tour is pretty darn good for a piecemeal album, eh? Uh, I'm all in on a classic deep dive right now. Queen kicks ass. But Benji can only stay away from his electro musics for so long at a time. Therefore, it's time for some extreme hype. There are a few artists that fill me with audible glee when they show up on my release radar. And one of those artists is Shaquille O'Neal. Yes, that's Shaq. If you don't already know, this is the biggest DJ in the world. Uh, my submission is Welcome to the Playhouse by Steve Aoki and Shaq. It's pure hype fueled by Shaq's unique brand of goofy badassery. That's all you really need to know, other than if you have a chance to see him live, do it. Just make sure affairs are in order because Death by Shaq is a real possibility. Yours forever and ever, Benji, Columbus, Oahu. Um. I thought the song was awful. <laughs> it's not very good. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's a good it's joke fine. song. It's like that Western yeah. song I sent you. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. I, it's 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 fine. <laughs> I just don't like Shaq. Shaq Say it one more time and I'll believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, so Louis Curran says, uh, the email is titled, Please Please Me. Ah, the one that started it all. While this is for sure the Beatles' most basic album, it captures perfectly where they were in their musical development. They showcase their knowledge of popular music for the time very well, as well as every track has the doo-wop rockabilly feel. It's hard to believe that four years later they would be they would stop being a commercial product that would take music to the plane of existence. Uh, looking forward to the next two movies you have on the list. I've never actually seen Yellow Submarine, and I accept my demotion. Uh, we refuse your demotion, actually. If anything, it keeps you at number three for uh, for being with me and making me not feel alone for not having seen it. I feel like you're railroading this uh, this ranking system. You have. <laughs> <laughs> it's nepotism you can't promote your brother I, that's why i've stayed out of it but i would think you would show favoritism to a fellow ginger i also just like seeing ben fight for it you know and that's louis fair. just doesn't try so that that's going to keep him there um so, so to finish it so sorry, ahead. sorry. <laughs> i was gonna say hungry dogs run faster so. <laughs> yes um for my song of the show i'm sticking with ben's retrospective idea and choosing i'm waiting for the day by the beach boys it's been mentioned in previous episodes how influential the beatles were on they're contemporaries, and you can hear that all over the album Pet Sounds. The verse is light and sparsely populated, but when that timpani uh, starts thumping, everything joins together in the chorus, especially on the outro where there are different vocal harmonies and instruments all doing their own thing. Uh, thanks for taking us back to the past, guys. It's been a journey. P.S. You suck, Dill. Thought I forget. forgot, didn't you? <laughs> See? <laughs> I'm glad that came full circle. Um, yeah, I I've had so much fun listening to even the the Beach Boys Pet Sounds. We've been talking about it in our group chat, and it's just like Pet Sounds is so good. Yeah, I can't I've listen never, to the Beach Boys all the way through any other album, but the that one. Yeah, I've never really even dug into the Beach Boys or Pet Sounds, so it's something definitely on my list. This is my cardinal sin of uh, '60s rock, I suppose. Is I never I have always heard tales of how good this album is i've just never really given it a listen um because i've got again i've got so much other shit i want to listen to um but i'll probably listen to it at some point before the end month is out i've got the record if you want to just borrow it uh i don't have i don't have speakers for my record player yet so i'll let you know when i do okay so yeah like we mentioned uh next week's going to be yellow submarine the movie uh if not we'll try and keep you guys updated on social media but uh that's the plan that is the plan. So anyway, thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs> I recorded that. <laughs> Good, because I, uh, I stopped recording.